Okay, you can call. All right. So I want to share with you a few stories from Rabbi Beryl Levy, all of Shalom. Beryl Levy, he was the director of the OK, the, the OK um, kosher symbol. And he had many different missions that Rebbe sent him on because of his traveling throughout the world. He had to travel um, because of the various um, pr- products that, um, that, were, that were made throughout the world in order to give a uh, kosher authorization to the OK. So he traveled to many, many places. And it's unbelievable the um, kind of missions that the Rebbe would give him during his various journeys. You, you see the idea of, in the language of this week's Torah portion, Reish Bnei Yisrael. He sees the idea of the head of the Jewish people. Just like the head is sensitive to all different uh, parts of the body, in a similar way, the idea of, of a Rebbe is, he's a Reish Bnei Yisrael and sensitive to every single Jew in the world. It sounds incredible, uh, but that's this is the fact. And here are a few stories that he shared, uh, Rabbi Baralevi, Olvashol. Rabbi Baralevi was sent, because of his cautious agency, um, to Russia during the time of communism. And I, there's actually, you could hear this, there's a, a uh, it's on YouTube, a recording of Rabbi Baralevi with a Jew named Abgetsha. Abgetsha was a chassar who lived in Russia. I don't remember which city, it was in Moscow. And he, Rebbe Levi calls him up, there's a recording of the conversation, you can hear it, it's in Yiddish. And he says to him, Zayde will wissen, Farvos nemtish yankel zain medizin. The Zayde was the term that Hasidim in Russia would use to, to refer to the rabbit. Since they, he's calling from the United States, so of course the KGB is scrutinizing conversations from someone calling the United States to, to someone who is anyway suspect of going against the uh, Russian government because of their activity in keeping to our mitzvahs. People who wore beards were especially suspect. So, so, so I barely calls him up and he uses the, the, the term and the conversation. He says, the grand- grandfather is calling. Grandfather wants to know how come Yankel isn't taking his medicine. Apparently, I just heard the conversation, it sounds like to me that Yankel had diabetes and Yankel needed to have insulin and Yankel didn't want to take the insulin. So, right, so, so Getcho answers the phone. He says, I tried to convince him. He doesn't want to take the insulin. So Rabbi Levi says, you have to give him the message the message is that Zayda wants to know how come he's not taking the insulin. So Ibrahim Levi explains to him he doesn't, he, exactly what the Rebbe's words are and what he, how he's supposed to say it. It goes back and forth a few times until Rebbe Getsha, his older man, understands the message. He's going to give over to Yankel, explain to Yankel his diabetes, why it's so important for him to have insulin. That's just, that's just mind-boggling. The Rebbe is in New York, and he's sending a message because Yankel's not taking his insulin. That's story number one. Ready for story number two, Rosie? Okay, story number two was like this. Rabbi Levi 
went to the Philippines years ago, it became popular in the United States, banana chips. And he went to the Philippines to supervise a uh, company that wanted to get the, the OK symbol, uh, super, OK supervision on their banana chips. So Ibarra Levy went to the Philippines to uh, check out to see if this product was uh, met up to their standards. And as often, always, before he would go to travel to any country, he would, he would write a letter to them. And the Rebbe would always give a blessing. And the Rebbe would send dollars for Shlichas Mitzvah. So the Rebbe would send dollars as a customary. When someone goes on a trip, you send, you, you send a dollar so that the person should put the dollar into tzedakah. That way the whole trip is transformed into a mitzvah. In addition to the dollar, in addition to the um, to the blessing, the Rebbe also gave him a check of $180 and told him it's worthwhile that you should speak to the community in the Philippines and give them a donation from the Rebbe for their community. That's what... Um, hold on one second... So he goes to this banana chip company, and he um, he che- he discovers that the owner of the company is a uh, Sephardic Jew, and sure enough, the uh, as he suspected. Although people thought that banana chips would be the problem is banana, but actually the oil that was used for the, for the making of these banana chips was also oil that was used for, for non-kosher products as well, the same oil. And, uh, and, and, and so in order to make these banana chips kosher, there had to be a whole change of the operation, and, and he was able to fix that issue. Then he tells this Sephardic Jew that he, he has a mission from the Rebbe and he needs to speak to the community there. So this, this Jew who is the owner of this company says, oh, I, I have a great idea for you. My uncle is actually a shochet. He, uh, he d- does kosher ritual slaughter and he is, um, uh, he is, is a, is a, he is a, a uh, very, Distinguished member of the community, and I'm sure he could help you to uh, to connect to the community. His uncle was from Baghdad, a sheikh. Yeah, okay. So he goes. To, he goes to this uh, shul, and unfortunately, this shul did not have a mechitza. The men and women daven there together. So Rabbi Levi, of course, couldn't pray there. And after the prayers were over. He asked permission to speak, and he spoke. He said, first of all, before I speak, I want to share with you, um, I have to apologize to you why I didn't pray with you. And he tells him the following story. He says there was a Jew who was living in the Lower East Side in New York, and he moved to not Long Island. And in Long Island, there was a Reform temple, and he wanted to, uh, he wasn't used to it, he was a religious man, but um, he needed something. There was no other, at that time, there was no other synagogue there. So he wanted to join the temple. So he goes to the president of the temple 
And he tells the president that he wants to join, he wants to be a member of the temple. The president looks at him, the president sees this guy is religious, he doesn't have any people in his, in his community with beards and this and a hat that doesn't fit. So the guy, the, temp, the president says, I'll send you an application. Send you an application. So weeks go by, and he doesn't get any application to become a member in the synagogue. So he happens to meet the president somewhere in the neighborhood, and he asks the president, you know, I, I was first I was upset, you didn't send me an application. But I had a dream about God last night. God came to me in a dream, and God said to me, uh, I, I, in the dream I, I uh, told God, you know, I'm upset that I wanted to become part of this community, and they don't let me in. And God said, don't worry, they don't let me in there either. In other words, says in the Torah, God says, make for me a sanctuary, I'll dwell within you. So the sanctuary has to be made according to the rules of God, according to God's plan. Since in order for a synagogue to be kosher, the men and women have to sit separately. As in the laws of kosher, meat and milk are both kosher items, but they're mixed together, it's not kosher. In a similar way, men and women are both important parts, equally important parts of the synagogue, but they have to be, that's be separation. That's the words of a Levi shared and his words resonated, the community heard, and, and they actually resolved to build a mechitza, to make a separation, and they used Rebbe's check for this, and not only did they use Rebbe's check for this, but um, th- this actually caused a whole domino effect, many positive things that happened in this community. Before I um, share the positive thing that happened in this community as a result of this, the, the mikvah that was built, and the mechitz that was built. Um, I'll share one more story. I'll get back to the Philippines in a second. Rabbi Berelevi. Um, oh, Shalom Aleichem. It's Master David. Uh, Rabbi Berelevi was, um, as he was in the Philippines, uh, and he finished speaking, um, there was a young man in the audience who comes over to him and says to him, I heard that you were visiting our community and I have a really important request from you and please, don't leave me empty-handed, please go and fulfill my request. What's your request? He says, I, I, I am from New York and I don't have such good grades and I wanted to get into medical school in New York. I couldn't get into a, to a medical school in New York. So the only place I can get into was here in the Philippines. And... He says, I'm going back to New York in two months, and I want my parents to be ready to hear how I found the love of my life. I'm going to marry this Filipino woman, and I want my parents to be ready to handle this, because I know they're religious, and they won't be upset, they won't be able to handle it. I want you to please brace them for, for this news. So Rabbi Levi said, you're going, you're going to break their hearts. Here, they, they, your parents gave all this money to support you in school. And you're going to turn your back on them and, and do this to them. How can you do this to them? But his words fell on, on uh, deaf ears. And uh, Rabbi um, Levy came back to New York. And the first thing he did, he called up this boy's parents. And, and he said to them, your son is coming back in two months. And he has a present for you. I need to talk to you about it. The parents come over. He said, I believe he said, his father, the father of this boy fainted. The mother couldn't handle it. They're so grief-stricken. 
Anyways, the mother begs him, please call up our son, try to convince him, speak to him again. He said, I spoke to him already, but they asked him, please speak to him. And to make a long story short, he spoke to the boy, he called him again, and Baruch Hashem, he was successful in convincing him to let go of this relationship, which is a miracle in itself. And it was all a result of the, uh, of the rabbi's instruction to him to go speak to the community in the Philippines. On another occasion, Rabbi Levi was going to Copenhagen. And he went to send a letter to Rebbe that he wants to go to Copenhagen because, again, because of his, uh, because of his kosher agency. The Rebbe said to him, they should check out the mikveh in Copenhagen and make sure the mikveh in Copenhagen is kosher. Okay? So he goes to Copenhagen and he's only there for a day, and he wants to and he wants to get a key to the mikvah to see what the, what the, what the mikvah is, is, was like. But unfortunately, he didn't. He couldn't get the key to the mikvah, and he had to leave. He he leaves, and he, and he couldn't do the mission that I've asked him to do. A year passes, and again he has to go to Copenhagen, and again he writes the Rebbe a year later, and he tells the Rebbe that he want he's going to Copenhagen. He wants a bracha. The Rebbe says to him. Please make sure to find out the status of the mikveh and make sure the mikveh is kosher. Okay, now he's like, he forgot all about this. But if you're a year later, I began reminding him, make sure the mikveh is kosher. So here he, he decided like, it can't be that he's going to, um, he's going to miss out on this. And so he, he made sure that he have enough time to ascertain whether the mikveh is kosher or not. And he, he went there and he got a hold of the key and he went in the mikveh. And he noticed that there was some kind of an issue with the water in the mikveh. In order for mikveh to be kosher, the the rainwater um, and the tap water have to be connected. And very often, um, the uh, there's an issue depending on the mikveh is built with the connection between the rainwater and the tap water. And if it's not connected in the right way, the mikveh is not, is not kosher. Another, another critical issue in the mikveh is that if a mikveh has any cracks in it, the waters and the waters seeping out of the mikveh, depending on the speed of how fast the waters evaporate, the water is seeping out of the mikveh, again, the, it's called zoichelin, flowing water, and the mikveh is not kosher. So this mikveh had two issues. One issue with the hashaka, wasn't properly connected to the Rainwater. And number two, the water was echlin. It was it was it was an obvious issue. And so he he couldn't figure out how anyone would would, would make this mikvah kosher. So he asked them who was the rabbi who gave the certificate certification of the mikvah. And he discovered there's a certain rabbi in London, it's not important who his name is what his name is. The, he, he, he went to London and he visited with this rabbi and he asked the rabbi about the mikvah in Copenhagen. Did you, did you give the certificate? He says, yes, I gave, I gave the, the certification. And I told him there's two issues they have to do. They have to lower the, the hole that connects the rainwater with the tap water, and this will solve the issue also with the crack. And, and again, they told me exactly how to make the mikvah kosher. So Rabbi Levi said, did you ever tell the Rebbe about this? He says, no, I never wrote the Rebbe in my life. So unbelievably, the Rebbe sent a message to Rabbi Levi about the mikvah in Copenhagen without ever being told about the issue, and yet the Rebbe sensed this issue and sent him specifically 
to correct the uh, issue with the mikveh in Copenhagen. Rabbi Levi once wrote to Rebbe about another trip to the Philippines, and Rebbe told him something very interesting. Rebbe said that since you have been successful in the Philippines in helping them with creating a mechitza, separation between men and women during their prayers, and you've been successful also in building a mikveh there, you should check out and make sure that not only do they have a mikvah, they have a mechitza, they should make sure that there is also a moyel, there's also someone to do um, circumcision as well in the Philippines. Okay? So he goes to the Philippines and he discovers that the community has recently hired someone to be their chazan, to be their cantor, and to be their moyel, to, be, to, 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 to be do circumcisions. So he wasn't sure what his role was. They already had a moyel, but the Rebbe asked about this, so he started speaking to the moyel. And the moyel said that he had an interesting um, story that a few weeks before. He said that he got a call from Kobe in Japan, and there was an Israeli man who worked for Sims or Boeing, some company, an Israeli company in Japan, and they uh, and this this they had a baby and they wanted this moil from the Philippines to travel to Kobe to do a bris. But then the guy sent another telegram and said, "It's okay, we don't need it." So he called up and he found out that the guy in Kobe, instead of having a Jew be the be the moil, he had a non non Jewish doctor to be the moil for his son. Now, there are three components in order for a bris to be kosher. One is that the, the foreskin has to be removed, of course. There is then the mitzvah uh, the, the, of the bris milah itself. And also that the person should remain uh, a mohol, that the, the foreskin is removed, not just temporarily, but stays that way. And that the mitzvah, besides that, there's another mitzvah of the actual circumcision. So while the doctor is able to, uh, to make sure that the, that the foreskin is removed and that the person is in the category of someone who does not have the oral, does not have the foreskin, but he still hasn't done the mitzvah of circumcision. In order, for that to, be, in order that, to satisfy that, there's a painless procedure called a tafas tambris, where the, the person who has already been circumcised is now does the mitzvah of circumcision without any, without an actual circumcision, but just with a, with a a um, this procedure called tavas dambris. So Rabbi Levi is thinking, if the Rebbe sent me to the Philippines to find out about circumcision, maybe this is about me. The reason I'm being sent over here is because of what's going on in Kobe. And actually, the next week, Rabbi Levi had to travel to Tokyo, to Japan. And he decided instead of spending Shabbos in Tokyo as he originally planned, he's going to spend Shabbos in Kobe. In Kobe, there was a similar situation to the to the Philippines, and again there he went to went to Kobe. He shared that dream, the story of the guy who moved to Long Island, and and he and he told them he told to the the community that a baby doesn't have any, you know, can't make any decisions decisions for itself. A baby can only do what the parents. Do the baby is in the hands of the parents, and he said, "Can you imagine 
when you give a child a bris, you're giving him a blessing for his entire life. And instead of giving a child a brisk, giving a child over to a non-Jewish doctor, you're taking it for the child opportunity of this mitzvah for his whole life. Make a long story short, he met with the head of the company that employed this gentleman who had exchanged the moyel for a doctor, and uh, they assured him that in the future they will make sure to only use a moyel and not to use a surgeon for for circumcision. But the, all these stories of Rabbi Levi all underscore the same thing, that wherever a Jew may be in the world, Hashem gives in every generation a Moshe Rabbeinu, someone like Moses, who senses the needs of every Jew, like a, like a shepherd senses the needs of his sheep, and that the Jew has to feel that, you know, that uh, the Jewish sheep aren't orphaned, they have a Rebbe whose blessing is a blessing, whose word is a word, and uh, Rosie, Rosie, who do you want to come right now? All right, Mashiach. I want Mashiach to come right now. And uh, that's the story I want to share. Any questions or comments? All right. A good